Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is um, 9-4-2022. We're continuing our worship service with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, here we have the thought of the week, opening with a verse from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18. And Paul is praying that we may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Here is why we need this power. The word for grasp has a specific meaning, to take eagerly, that is, seize, possess, etc., apprehend, attain, come upon, comprehend, find, obtain, perceive, overtake, according to Strong. Many look at power in terms of deliverance, miracles, signs, and wonders, but none of that is here. We have something far greater which accomplishes the sum total of God's will for our lives. We need power to grasp, to perceive, to apprehend, and to take hold of what is ours from God. If we have this power, we will be enabled to see something that others without the power cannot see. With God's power, we could force us, or he could force us, to do anything he wants to do. We would be like puppets on strings in God's hands. However, this is not God's desire to simply control us. We are about to see the greatest display of his power here, and it doesn't have anything to do with creating the universe. It doesn't have anything, it doesn't have to do with creating the angelic order or the creation of man. It has to do with God revealing the depth of his person to us in a way he has never done for any creature. But it is not just that. It is God giving us this power to comprehend what he has done. And that is the thought of the week. And as we can see, I hope the, uh, certainly the expression was there to, um, to emphasize just how great this power is that God is sharing with us so that we can comprehend what he is revealing to us, even the deep things of God and his depth of his personhood. And I want to just say simply in terms of salvation that this is what's on the other side of the door of salvation for the Christian. Salvation is the door for every person um, to come into a reconciling uh, relationship with God. But to take hold of that is something that we need to open ourselves up to. So it has, it's helpful for me to think of salvation in terms of a door that opened up into a mansion. From the outside, looking at the door, I can't tell just how beautiful the inside is. But once I open the door and see what God has made available, then it's, uh, it's a desire of a different level. And I hope we all share that desire. And that's my commentary on the thought of the week. And now Dave, um, I'm sorry, Doug will give us Prayer. Amen. Thank you, Dwight. Um, we'll just pause to see if there are any prayer requests out there before we look to the Lord. I'll pause. All right. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time we have this morning. We thank you for um, when we think about the calling that we have received from eternity past, before time began. And we, we are looking to that time for an understanding of why we're here today, why we can be, pray in Christ's name and in Christ and, and, and have those uh, understandings and be part of the new creation. We're, we're just thankful. We have deep appreciation for what you've done and how you've shown your love towards us by calling us in this manner. We thank you for 
uh, Word is Truth Christian Church. We thank you that uh, we couldn't be here were it not for uh, Word is Truth. Uh, being able to not only explore in detail what your word teaches and says, but being able to be a part of uh, the commentary of what goes on here and to bring our gifts and to share our, uh, what you have blessed us with, with the body of Christ. We pray for Word of Truth Christian Church in, in Illinois as well, where Mike is the pastor, Mike Presley. We're asking you would give them wisdom as well as he continues to teach and uh, to share with his group the things that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man. So, Father, we also pray for the world, for those who are not saved in this world, and that you would use us in some way in whatever way you, you see fit, that we, you are able to use us to reach them, whether it be by word or deed, uh, to show your glorious grace and the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we might magnify his work uh, on behalf of man so that they can look to him and be saved. So, Father, we pray for uh, the leadership in this world, that we will be able to live peaceful lives here, and so that we can continue to not only do those two things, which are to preach the gospel and uh, to continue to grow into all truth as led by your Spirit. So we thank you for it. Uh, we pray for those who are sick, and we... Uh, and for those who are still mourning among us, and we recognize how important it is that our focus be on you, and that we take our focus off of those things which may cause us anxiety, worry, fear, and we place those firmly on you and your word, Father, so that we can grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so... Amen. Amen. So we're continuing um, where we left off as we're in um, John 17 and 23. We're just about finished as we will talk a little bit about some of the I think a couple points left, but I didn't want to rush through it. Uh, 17.23 says, I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So there's a lot in that verse. So let's, let's dig in. We'll get to right where we left off, because time still is important to us, even though we're at the beginning. There is an interesting theme in these last verses of Jesus' prayer. It is, quote, Then the, the world will know that you sent me, unquote, verse, 20, verse 23. It came to me that if it is important to Jesus and the Father that the world knows about this, then it must be vitally important for us, the church, to know about this marvelous work done in us. Are you aware of what the Father is doing in this age? In one way, we can see that the Trinity is proud of what they are accomplishing in us. Quote, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians 2.7. And rightfully so, for we are God's greatest achievement. As we live in Christ, this new, quote, new creation has been around for 2,000 years now, and for many, it is still a mystery. So, uh, we covered this in phrases, I and them, and you and me, was Phrase number one, and then so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know, 
point number three, that you sent me. And then this last thought, and have loved them even as you have loved me. So we, <coughs> we're going to back up to where, in point E, I know we, we're really on point G and H, but just by way of recap, point E, even as you have loved me. The love the Father has for us is just as, in the same way as, the love he had for Jesus before time began. So, um, that, I think we covered that thought in Ephesians three sixteen through 20, where we took some time to deal with this love. Uh, that God is and uh, he's trying to get us to understand. And uh, today's thought of the week is about that love. And, and we may grasp how high and why. I'm just turning to Ephesians 3.16 now. So it says, verse um, 18, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. The love of Christ is the love of the Father for Christ. And what we understand there is that that love for Christ happened from our verses in John 17, happened before the world began. So we have to say, if something happened before the world began, then it was a part of the thinking of God and the planning of the creation of all things. So we have to say it is very important if somebody uh, is creating something and the thoughts they have before they create that something are important. Like what are the plans? Well, shouldn't there be plans? It is not just about the execution of it. Okay, now let's do it. Doing it is following a, the plan. It is not uh, flying by the seat of your pants. You are literally following a plan. So what we realize is there is a plan before the world began. That's what we're been, we've been studying, this plan. And we're learning that it takes... So the word love is used with reference to this, right? that we may grasp. And then it talks about the dimensions. And, it's, and then it says, <clears throat> how deep the, is the love of Christ? So the love for the Father right, to, to Christ is what is being described. And then it says, and to know this love. So we got to know that the subject of these deep verses, that with the, the whole Christian world has termed deep verses is about love. That's what this is about. To know this love, how, how, how long and high and deep is the, the love of Christ. Right? Or that you may be rooted and established in love. So it's about love. You, I mean, even though we talk about power and strengthening and all that, it's about love. And love is about what the Father planned before time began. So these we covered this last week. I don't think we could cover it <clears throat> this week because we would never have enough time anymore to talk about the <clears throat> things that are before us. So I'm going to refer you to what we, we did discuss last week. And then we went to Romans 8 and 35 and that would be point F, Romans 8, 35 through 39, and we saw love again there, and we saw how important it was. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ again? Now, I know these verses are used for uh, helping people understand that salvation is eternal. You can't lose your salvation. What could possibly cause us to lose our salvation? But these verses, what we realize are, is not about those things. Even though we can certainly make those applications, 
primarily these verses are talking about something else. They're talking about the Father's plan. And who would condemn it? Who would object to it? Who would say that, no, you can't say that about the church. You can't call the church. You can't say that they are foreknown, predestined, uh, called, justified, and then glorified. You can't say that about the church. That's Israel. Israel's job to be the, the, those who are foreknown and those who are chosen. and We're God's chosen people. Well, they object to God choosing the church. So this is what we find. The context is when we look at these verses in Romans chapter 8. And so who, who, who would possibly condemn us? Who would separate us? Verse 35. Well, we know who. It's the Jews. This was the, the prevailing controversy when the new dispensation dawned from Israel to the church. Right? This is a hidden dispensation, according to Paul. It's not known. Surely you have known. This is Ephesians 3, 2. Surely you have known about the administration of God's grace, which is given to me for you. That is the mystery, he says. So this dispensation was hidden. The Jews totally took them by surprise. But God did install the church with a new dispensation, with the Holy Spirit, uh, the Spirit of Truth, uh, over this dispensation. And he did it. And the Jews did not like it. They said, no, that's wrong. We're going back to the Mosaic Law. We will not accept Gentiles in our body. So they said, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Uh, you know, well, they would. They would certainly have something to say about it. So that's the subject of Romans 9, 10, and here we are in 11 on Wednesdays. So take some time, hopefully, if you can, join us. But, so there it is. We see these fantastic scriptures, but they're really about the Father's plan and his commitment to it. And he will not waver. Nothing in time, which is all these things that he mentions in human history, could, could stop God from completing this plan. I'll just skip to verse 39. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. So God has the plan, and, and it's before creation. He's letting us know that nothing in all of creation that he created will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't care who doesn't like it or who thinks it's wrong. It is the plan. And creation was created because of the plan. Certainly, there's nothing in creation that will stop the plan. It's just the logic of it all. So it's important, this love. That's I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. And then point G in our notes. This is 4G. This is where we haven't covered. So it says, The Father's special love is expressed in his choosing us and placing us in Christ before time began. So that's when it talks about that he, that he loves us. And this is our verse. Our verse, and if you look at four, and has loved them, them is a reference to us, even as you have loved me. So you love the church just like you love Christ. In the same way you love Christ, you love the church. So when we read point G, we're, we're talking about that special love. Because it's not just for the world. It's special love expressed in his choosing us and placing us in Christ before time began. That's where that... That's how that love expresses itself. That's how we know that we have the love of the Father. So if we look at Ephesians 1, 3, and 4, I'm turning there. It says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So there you have it. How is that love expressed? It is expressed in him choosing us. Now we could ask, why did God choose you? Why? It doesn't give an example, uh, uh, not an example, but a reason for why he chose us. 
But what we can say is he loved us. There's a special love. That's what's different about us if we were to categorize that with other believers in the world, is that he had this special love for us. So Romans 8, 29 and 30 says, it says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So there is something special done for those for whom God loves. That verse says it. Uh, that, that love is expressed in our choosing, in our calling. Right? God establishing us as those special ones uh, where he's bringing many sons into glory. So, so we, just, we have to relate these things. So if, if we say, well, the Father loves us, well, we could, as I said when we started uh, this last week, that we could say that in a general way. We could just say, generally, God loves us. Well, how do we know? Well, he sent his son to die for us. But this love is predicated on the fact that God chose us in Christ. And this is before anybody sinned or, or even any the first human being was ever created. God has something in mind. We talked about it in terms of the plan from Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. Now we're talking about it in terms of love. That, that means, to me... What was in the Father's heart? What were his intentions and his motives before the creation of all things? I mean, it's amazing that we can know this information. I'm excited by the fact that God made this information known to me. What went into the creation of all things? What was God thinking? What does he want out of creation? To me, God has revealed these things to us. And he's telling us right in his word. Obviously, we have marginalized them. We said, oh yeah, God, I heard what you said, but thank you for your so great salvation. <laughs> we just skipped right over what he said because we only interpreted what he said according to our limited capacity. And that is, oh, that he wants to save me. God just wants to save me. That's how we see it. But that's not God's intention here. Point H, let's keep moving. Our love for the Father is expressed in our commitment. Now, let's just say, so before we finish reading that point. So we're talking about the Father's love for us. Well, that comes from the verse, and, had lo and have loved them even as you have loved me. It comes from that phrase. So now, even though are reciprocating the love how do so we can talk about well what does it mean that the father loves us he loved us the way he loved christ what does that mean so we talked about that in point g point h is what is our response to that how do we reciprocate god's love this special love here it is our love for the father is expressed in our commitment devotion and dedication to learning and living according to his glorious plan. Now, I could see uh, examples of how this works. Because remember, God's love for us is expressed in his choosing us for this special role, special calling. Our love back to God says... What do, we, what do we do? We commit, we do, we're devoted to his plan, we, we're, you know, we show the dedication to his plan, right? We understand the plan. That is to say, we understand what you did and we're responding to what you did for us. It's sort of like when we pray, we say, thank you, God, you chose me. I understand my calling. But if you don't understand your calling, your thankfulness for being called is marginalized 
It's minimized. It's not really, since you didn't fully understand what God's intention was, then how could you fully have the appreciation for it? So it's a devotion and dedication to learning, right? It's the learning. If you don't take the time to understand what God did, how are you going to properly appreciate it? And living. Now, according to living, the second says, Walk on, walking worthy according to the calling he has for us. So there's a couple scriptures. And the first one is in John 14, 31. And it gives how Jesus responded to it with love. And his love is expressed this way. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father. There it is. And what does that mean to you, Jesus? And do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Right, so in other words, Jesus knows they got work to finish. He has to do exactly what the Father wants him to do. That's how he responds to the Father choosing him for this auspicious role that he has. I mean, the fact that Christ is the focal point for, you know, everything. Not only for salvation, but for this, which is God's eternal purpose. And all of it is accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So these two, this, this verse shows what Christ's dedication and commitment is to the Father. He does exactly as the Father has commanded him. And then 15, 8 through 10 says, um, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Here it is, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, how did Christ love us? He loved them by choosing them. Same way. Same way. Father, you gave those to me, I'm, and I had to go choose those ones. I have chosen the ones you told me to choose. I definitely have, right? So now, so now remain in my love. Now, how do we do that? How do we remain in your love? Verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So Christ, the Father loved Christ. How can Christ remain in the Father's love? Well, by keeping the Father's commands. We just read it in John 14. Well, Christ is saying, well, I chose you and the reason why I chose you because the Father told me to. And now you can remain in my love. How do you do that? Well, you remain in my love by keeping my commands just as I have kept my Father's commands. Well, you know, hopefully you can read that over and you could see that the choosing, the love, the, all of that makes perfect sense. All right? And then Philippians 2.8. Well, one more example. Philippians 2.8. Um, here it is. What did Jesus, even though he was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Once Jesus realized he was a man, he understood that, verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. He humbled himself and became obedient. It's literally the same thing that we read in John fourteen thirty one. Christ says, "Come on, let us let's go." Because the the devil had plans to put Christ on the cross. Remember Judas, the whole thing. Christ just says, "The the world must learn that I love the Father, and I do exactly as the Father has commanded me." And it, it makes perfect sense. And here, Jesus is saying, what happens? Paul is referencing this whole point. He's saying, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So it's literally right at the, the timing. Paul is capturing what Christ did, what was his intention, what, how did he respond to him being in this world and a human body. He, this is what he did. And we are supposed to have the same attitude. We're supposed to humble ourselves by becoming obedient as well to the Father's plan. Right? Keeping his commands, just like we read. All right, so that 
is the end of verse 23. So hopefully um, that was something that we were able to accomplish. But it took four swings for us to do it. But hopefully you will see it not as standing alone, but progressive. But we're going to move on to um, verse 24. In verse 24, I don't know that we'll complete, but we'll certainly take a swing at it. So let's get into it. John 17, 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and, and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. I could easily say wow, but I've been overusing wow. I have to come up with other words. Wow is not sufficient anymore. We'll, we'll think of another one. Man, that's something. <laughs> so let's get into this John 17, 24. This is a lot to unpack here, but hopefully uh, the notes will help us, guide us through it. One day, this world as we know it will be over. I know that sounds, I know it's hard to imagine when the world is casually going on, like it will never end. It will be exactly like the apostle said, quote, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first, unquote. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. The church will be removed from earth's reality and human history will continue precisely where it left off. What, when that happens, the special age will be over and the door will be closed on, this, on the, this new creation in Christ. The Father's eternal purpose for the church will be accomplished. Then we will see what is, quote, immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. That's Ephesians 3.20. For now, quote, we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's Titus 2.13. So we wait. Now we know what it is we got to continue to come to the full knowledge of the truth. Right? That's study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Right? We, we need to come to these, uh, this understanding of who we are and why we are here, why God called us here at this particular time. So let's get into it. <laughs> That's what we've been talking about. Okay, Father, this is point number one. I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. So the first thought is, I want you uh, are those you have given me. So Jesus is looking forward to something very special yet to come. I could say there is a longing for it, quote, to be with me. I like that thought. It looks like, <clears throat> Father, I, he's praying to the Father, and he says, I, I want those you have given me. Now notice, the Father chose us in Christ. Christ chose us because the Father chose us to be in Christ. He, he started with the foundation, and so forth. So Jesus is looking for, it reminds me of like a longing that Jesus has to be uh, that completed uh, person that the Father designed from eternity past. Now, for Christ to be complete, it is not only him, but it is those who are in him. Right? We are his body, the church, the fullness of him. So Christ is longing for that time. It's not yet, obviously. But it seems like he's longing. And there's other verses that we could talk about. 
like in John 14, for instance, I know this is not in your notes, but where Christ says, in, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And this is, to me, it's not only this is the Father's plan, but I'm seeing the personality of Christ longing for this oneness that he describes in John 17, that they may be one as we are one, and I and them and they and me, that they may be perfect, brought to perfect oneness in us. Right? There's a longing. So Christ himself is longing for that time when uh, the summation of all things has already been accomplished. He's seeing to the end of what the Father's plan is for uh, the church and, and how we will be and the glory that will be part of us, adorning us. He sees to the end of all of that and is recognizing that as he prays to the Father. He's thinking, he could say, Father, right now, I'm getting ready to go to the cross. No, 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 no. That's not what's on his mind. What's on his mind is he's praying to the Father, and this is it. This is what he's talking about. I see it, Father. I know it. I'm, I've done the work. I finished the work you gave me to do to, to call the church. And now, I can't wait to get to the place where it's complete, where it's done. And when I do, when, when they do, they're going to see my glory. They're going to be with me, all of them, not just some of them, all of them. Point B in our notes. Those you have given me. Father, I want those you have given me. Who are those? Who are those given from the Father to Jesus? Just to make sure we're aware we're going to read a couple of verses, John 17, 6 and 20, right? So where I'm, I'm in John 17 right now, so I'll read 6. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Who are they? That's the disciples, right? Those 11, and those 11 disciples are getting ready to enter into a place where no man has gone before. Oh, never mind, that's Star Trek. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, they're entering into this place where nobody has ever been, where they are getting ready to get to Pentecost, where there is this baptism of the Spirit, which will take them out of the world and unite them to the glorified person of Christ, who is in heaven. No man has ever experienced the baptism of the Spirit. It is unique. It is unprecedented. And if anybody is in Christ, they are a new creation. A new creation has come. It has arrived. So this that Christ is talking about in point B, obviously he's talking about those of us who are the church, the foundation, the disciples. So verses um, 20, let's continue in verse 20. My prayer, and he's talking about the disciples all the way up down to this point, but he clarifies, my prayer is not for them alone, them referring to the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And then what does he say? That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me, you have sent me. So th that speaks to the same dynamics that he's been talking about that would happen to the disciples is going to happen not only to them, but to those who believe on me through their message. Uh, this is all post-Pentecost, when the baptism of the Spirit does come and does begin to baptize every one of us into the person of Christ. So, there you have um, 
And then we already read Romans, uh, well, Ephesians 1, 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Romans 8, 29 says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the very image of his son. So we were foreknown, we were predestined, we were chosen, called. All these terms that are used of us to describe what was hidden, what God never revealed to anybody else. He hid it in Christ. So those are the ones when Christ says, Father, I want those you have given me. Well, he's talking about somebody special here. Not just everybody. It's these, these special ones. That I have chosen. That's who I'm talking about. Point C. That they may be what? Where I am. So where is the Lord? Right now. Where is he? He is glorified in heaven. Um, so I use this term to talk about it. If This is Ephesians 1.21. To, to talk about where Christ is. Right? He's not in the ground. Now he's not in Hades or in paradise or something. Ephesians one twenty one speaks of it. He is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. That's how far he has been raised up. He is seated at the right hand in the heavenly realm. That's, that's where Jesus is right now. He's not just seated there, but he's glorified. Right? He finished the work. So he, he's, he's the glorified humanity of Christ. So that, that's where he is. Right? He says, that they may be with me where I am. There's other verses that speak of this too. Romans 8, where he says he is at the right hand uh, of God interceding for us. <clears throat> There's other verses that speak of where, just where Christ is. Points. This is points. Uh, he, that that was point C. He's glorified in heaven. Point D is John fourteen two. He continues. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? So where? Where are we eventually going to be? Where is this homecoming that Jesus is referring to, that he's longing for? It's going to be in heaven. This is going to be in the third heaven. He says, uh, in my father's house are many rooms. He calls the third heaven his father's house. But if that were not so, I would have told you. But those rooms aren't sufficient for us. That's why he has to go there and prepare, which is not ready yet. He's going to prepare a place for us. That's a special place. So that's where he's going. And then point E, notice Jesus is not praying for all believers. Specifically, he is praying for us, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So I'm just pointing that out, that it, the reference here is not for the whole of saved people in all ages. Right? Um, he's praying specifically for us. And that point is also uh, point F in our notes, John 17, 9. He literally say it, says it this way. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. For they are yours. So again, he's very specific about who he's praying for. He's not praying for the world. He's not praying for believers of all time, like Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We could go on. He's not praying for them. He's praying for these. He's very specific. And just imagine, this is just before Jesus is arrested by this mob and uh, eventually beaten and goes to the cross. He knows what's ahead of him. But what's important to the Father right now and him is him accomplishing the mission that he came to do. 
with regard to the church, this new dispensation that's dawning, uh, that will begin at Pentecost. That was this is a very critical, uh, pivotal time that we must note. So that's point F. He's, he's not praying for the world. He's not praying for believers of all time. He's praying specifically for the church. Point G, where I am. So again, given to me that they may be where I am. This is where we belong. Just note, this is home for us. He's going to prepare a place. We didn't have a place up there. Third heaven is not where we belong, you could say. Where do we belong? We belong on earth because we're human beings created in, you know, as a result of Adam's progeny. We're not, we don't belong in heaven. How can we go there and think that that's someplace that, okay, we're home now, right? No, that's, that's not home for us. But God has changed some things. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says it this way. It says, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in, you know, that's a reference to our bodies. You know, one day our bodies are going to wear out to the point where we won't be able to live in, and live in them anymore. Or if it's destroyed, you know, somebody could persecute us. Jesus says, oh, those who kill you will think that they are performing a service to God. We may die through martyrdom. A lot of the disciples did die just that way. They were killed. So if it's destroyed, now they were on the front line of all of this. And so were many of the early Christians, right? They were uh, used for sport by some of the Caesars. They were, their bodies were destroyed. What happens to us if that happens? We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Imagine that. We have a place in heaven where we belong, where we are home, at home, where we will feel at home. Just, and it gives some analogies how we feel at home in the body. You know, we do. We feel like we are ourselves. We're, you know, there's that term, we're comfortable in our own skin. Well, that means we, we know what it feels like to be here in the body. But when we, if the body is destroyed and we have, to, well, what happens? Well, we're going to be home in heaven. There's a home that Christ is preparing for us. And it's in the heavens. There, there you have it. So that's where Christ is. And not only is he there, but that is home for us. Point H. So point H is just my sentiment. Hopefully you'll see. Lord, I want to be there with you too. So the Lord says, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. I'm saying, Lord, I want to be there too. I want to be with you. I want to see your glory. I want, I want all of it. And where do we get some of this yearning from? So if the Lord is yearning for us to, to for completion of the plan. He's saying to us that... I'm long. I can't wait. I, I just can't wait for this finally to be. We waited for so long before the creation of the world. Then finally, we got to the place where it's glory time, where we're calling out those many sons in the glory. This is happening, <coughs> but Christ is looking toward the end of it. He's saying, "Yep, yeah, it's going to be over, and I can't wait for them to be with me where I am and see my glory." So there's a couple scriptures with reference to that. One's Romans 8.23 for that sentiment, that thought. So it goes like this. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So here is an inward, it's just grown inwardly. So it's on the inside. What, what would make us have that feel? Well, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. That's what would make us have it. And we understand what God has given us, that we're sons and the Spirit has testified with our spirits that we are, in fact, 
sons of God. And we know the role that we have to play and the glory that will be ours when um, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. And we are we know what role we're going to play. And, and literally, Paul is saying here, he can't wait until this happens. Even though we know, okay, well, we gotta, God's got to call these many sons into glory. And obviously, it's been 2,000 years that he's been doing this. But Paul is looking to the end of it. He says, I can't wait for this to happen. I'm, I, I groan. You know, I just can't wait. But what he says, how he works this out, is um, verse 25. But if we hope, in other words, the hope is the desire, the knowledge of what God's plan is for us. right? If we hope for what we do not yet have, and we don't have it, it's not full, we don't have the redemption of our bodies yet, what can we do? We wait for it patiently. It's not like we forget about it. Well, just put it out of your mind. It's not happening now. So just put it out of your mind. No, that's not what he's saying. We wait for it patiently. We keep it in our mind because it's the hope of our calling. It's, it's the realization of what God's going to eventually do later for us. What do we do? We wait for it patiently. And all of that is included in the fact that we groan inwardly because we really do want what God has planned for us before time began. It's coming. It's just not there yet. But what are we going to do? We're going to wait for it patiently. So there you have Paul's sentiment. And then Titus 2.13. I'll read that. We'll get through, go through these things uh, quickly. So 2.13, I think we had this in the, the original thought here. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purify us uh, for himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So, th so that thought, just, yeah, I just can't wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing. Well, that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior is also the redemption of our bodies, and it is the solidification, the completion of what God has done for the church, right? And this is the final, where right now we might have the first fruits, or we might have received the deposit, which is a small portion of what God had planned for us from eternity past. We got that now, but guess what? It only makes us yearn and long and hope for what God will do later. And no, we don't have what he will do later. But guess what we have? We have the knowledge of it. We can know what it is. We have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are found in Christ. We can, Paul saying, I'm praying, I, I wanted, want you to have this. So this shows you what the quest of this life is. I know people have tried to characterize the Christian way of life in many ways, but here is the quest of the Christian way of life. It is to come to the full knowledge of the truth. It is, listen, we are given not the Holy Spirit who's supposed to make us jiggle and dance and all that other stuff that happens where people have interpreted the Spirit in all kinds of ways, but he's the Spirit of truth. And if I somehow were to make a caricature of the spirit of truth, I would imagine him with somebody who's very studious and has a pencil behind his ear and, is, and has his notebook in his hand and is ready. That's the spirit of truth. Not somebody who's static and, you know, rolling around on the floor, kicking their legs up and, and just, just, you know, just outside of themselves having an out-of-body experience. I'm imagining it's somebody who wants to learn. We got everything to learn, first of all. Look, it's a new dispensation. It's not the Mosaic Law. We're not under the law. And the information that we have is not 
with reference to those things in the past. It's new. So we got everything to learn. Not some things to learn. We got everything to learn. But eye is not seen, ear is not heard. All these things we've been talking about are before us to come to the knowledge of the truth. Right, so the, the whole thing about the Holy Spirit, He is the Spirit of Truth, and Jesus said it all. You won't understand now, but when the Spirit, when the Spirit comes, you will understand. It's about our understanding. That's what we can have in this age. That's why we read in the the thought of the week about how He has given us this power to grasp what God has given us. And that's what we can do. We're not going to experience it all. That's why we long for it. That's why we inwardly, we understand. We can't wait until the fruition of this comes to pass. So is Jesus saying the same thing. I, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. So 1 John 3, 1 and 2 is also, uh, it reminds me of that. So I'm going to read that. 1 John 3. 1 and 2. Let's turn there, if you will, and let's look at that. So it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Hey, <laughs> again, what are we talking about? Love. That love again. There, there's that word again, right? What great love the Father has lavished profusely just given to us. So how, did, what, how is it expressed in the Father? That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We are children of God. So, so this love, again, we see here in this verse, is expressed in the Father choosing us. He's choosing us as sons, children of God. That is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So, uh, dear friends, now are we the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. Well, it's not made known to the world, but what we will be has been made known to us. We should, we should know that, right? So don't walk around thinking, well, we don't know. We don't know what God has made of us. You know, I confess ignorance. For some reason, people want to confess their ignorance. I don't know. You don't know, and neither do I. We both don't know. That's not something that God has given. We got the spirit of truth. So we do know. It is not in vogue to say or comforting to people to know that they're ignorant and so are we. We do know. <laughs> Let me just say it again. Let me read it again so that uh, we don't get the wrong impression. I've heard people read this verse and they're so content with their ignorance. But who doesn't know in this context? Dear friends, now, he just told you who we are. We, we are. We're children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. Been made known to who? It's been made known to me. Has it been? I could ask. Has it been made known to you? Yes. But who has it not been made known to? The world. That's who we saw. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. It's not been made known. But guess what? They're gonna. It, the whole. We're gonna make our appearance to the world. It's coming. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. They will know. That's when the world will know. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we will see him, we, we shall see him as he is. So we know exactly who we're going to be, what God has made of us, who we are in Christ, all those things we have knowledge of. We know we're children of God, and that's now, not later, now. So I just emphasize some of the thoughts here. The fact that we have the spirit of truth informs us of who we are. He gives us the knowledge of 
who we are in Christ, about the new creation. That's what we've been talking about. Jesus has given us straight knowledge here about who we are, and that's all with reference to when the Spirit comes. Okay. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Point number two is our time. Oh, gosh, our time is already gone too far. Okay, so we'll read a point here, and then we're going to have to close, as it appears. I talk too much about this. So, point number two. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me. So, this is the first thought. This is obviously something we will have to wait to behold. It is hard for us to imagine this glory now. So, as much as we know who we are, as much as, much as we know the knowledge and wisdom and all that, this glory, that's what the when Jesus says, okay, Father, give me the glory I had with you before the world began. So we, what we don't know, or what we haven't had opportunity to know, is the experience. We haven't seen the glorified Christ. Well, Truly, we only know what the knowledge of what God has done, but the actual experience of it, we haven't seen that. We, we can't say, we've experienced what it is to have. Otherwise, Paul would not be saying we yearn inwardly, waiting for the completion of what God has done, which is the 90%. Let's say he gave us 10% in the deposit, the 90% that is yet to come is the fullness of that. We have the knowledge, but we don't have the fullness yet. That's coming. That's coming. It's going to affect not only us, the adoption is, full adoption of sons, but it's going to affect the, the world, the creation, is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. So, Point two, this is obviously something we will have to wait to behold, and that is to see the glory. Christ, because Christ says we need to be with him where he is in order to see that glory. And so when is that time coming? Well, when we receive our resurrection bodies, when Christ comes, when he says, uh, where it says the Lord will send the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in, in Christ, notice, will rise first. He's not the dead of all ages, but the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So that time is when the consummation of all things for the church is complete. Human history will continue on with Israel and Gentiles. But we, those of us who are in Christ, will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and we will forever now be joined to the Lord. And then, that's when we're going to see the glory that Christ has. That's when we will be with him to see the glory that, that he has, and we will also share in that glory. We'll talk more about it next week. It's hard to imagine uh, that glory now in the way we look. Right? So we have the deposit. We know who we are. The world doesn't know who we are. But it's, it's unique. It's a unique position that we are in. It's hard to imagine, but we got the knowledge of it. We do have that. All right, so let's, we're going to have to stop. We'll talk more about this next week. Perhaps we'll finish next week. We got <clears throat> a few more phrases to go. Um, to talk about. We, we will discuss those in more detail next week. So let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, again for the calling we have received. Why you chose us. We know it's love. You loved us before the world began. Before time was created. You loved us. And we know that that means you, you chose us specially chose us in Christ. So we can't fully understand 
why you chose us and not others. We, we don't understand why you. there are other believers in time that are certainly demonstrated. They demonstrated their faithfulness to you. But you chose us to be in Christ before the creation of the world. Gratitude, devotion, thankfulness, uh, commitment. These are all things that happen. And not only that, but praise. Praise for why you for what you've done. We can't fully explain it, but we can certainly recognize and show you love back for your choices here, for your love. We thank you, Father, for this church and the fact that we have a place where we can come and talk about these things in the detail that you have given us in your word and from the spirit of truth. We thank you, Father. We pray that you will continue to challenge us to go past the limits that religion has put on us, to continue to learn and to grow in grace and, and this wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. Father, help us to continue to keep the continuity in the context as we continue to go through this discourse, this last discourse of our Lord Jesus Christ, what was on his mind as he entered into that passion where he was going to pay for the sins of the world. Thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.